Welcome listeners to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love hosted by Richard Osler. As you may uh, realize, we're trying to do exclusively LGBTQ-focused podcasts. I've made some exceptions in 2024. I'm also looking at um, getting a couple guest hosts to host the non-LGBTQ podcasts um, so that these stories still exist on the platform. We just have um, multiple hosts bring them to you because it's really the guests that make the podcast go. And um, I'd love to scale that and keep it going. So that's just a housekeeping thing and a kind of a directional thing. Uh, my guest on today's podcast, joining me from Raleigh, North Carolina, is my friend Lindsay Sice. Welcome to the podcast, Lindsay. Uh, hi, Richard. Thank you so much for, for giving me this opportunity. I appreciate it. And Lindsay's last name is spelled S-A-I-S. And she coached me on how to spell it, say it right, because she says it rhymes with nice and rice and size. So actually, that was very helpful for me. Let me read you an email I got from Lindsay. And sometimes I read the original email I get from a guest that does a great job of just summing up, you know, kind of the content we're going to hear in the podcast. I'm Dear Papa Osler, my path with Tanner Hanks, um, who I've met um, at least once. I've had a good conversation with Tanner, terrific young man. Cross, um, paths crossed about a year ago. It was one of those unique situations where Heavenly Father drops you into circumstances that are a little too on the nose, leaving you looking at, at the sky with a smile, wondering in resignation and recognition. I ended up in Raleigh, North Carolina in May of 2021. My wife, um, Lindsay's in a same-sex marriage. Her wife's name is Connie. And I moved from a gorgeous coastal town of California so I could go to law school. That hasn't quite happened yet. Not yet, at least. For the last decade, I've had a slight, quiet, but increasing affirming feeling that God has some very specific plans for me, things that only I can do. I don't know what they are. I just try to be more like him a little more each day. This is a really brave um, next paragraph. I'm 43 and married five years to the best human I've ever met. Next month, knock on wood, I'll celebrate 11 years clean and sober. I'm an ex-felon, recovering addict, divorced at 23 and came out the gay as gay the same year. Um, addiction, anxiety, ADHD, alliteration, apparently. I was excommunicated from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints on March 20th, 20, March 30th, 2022. The sole reason because of my marriage. That's not an exaggeration. I asked the stake present directly if there was anything else in my life that was not incongruent with the gospel. There wasn't. There still isn't. My testimony is still intact. More now. I've tried to find a place within the church where I fit. But so far, I haven't exactly found one, though I've not for lack of trying. I feel welcome, but I do not belong, except with my wife and my Savior. I've never felt, I never feel like I should really be where I am. Tanner said, people need to hear your story. He told me to contact you. And so here we are. I think Tanner's right. I think people do need to hear your story. So, um you know, I'll just kind of turn over to Lindsay um, to share her story. Um, and with a prayer, we said a prayer of a story before we start, but a prayer in my heart 
you know, obviously if you're LGBTQ, I think this story will help you if you're a parent or a local leader. But also if you're working through really complicated life situations like going through a divorce, um, you're an ex-felon, um, recovering addict. So you've had some life experiences that probably give you the ability at 43 to help others that may feel there's no hope or no future. And sometimes I've recognized it's brave people like you, Lindsay, because you've walked these roads. You know, they were difficult. You are uniquely qualified to give hope um, to others. So is that okay for an introduction? That's, uh, yeah, that's, uh, it's, it's better than I could have ever um, done. Thank you for that. Well, you're welcome. And you're on. All right. Um, I, uh, so at 43, when I was in, in high school and then, uh, there were all the signs were pointing to, um, to things that I couldn't see at the time. And I think that there's a huge power in being able to name something, to be able to identify something and to put a name to it. When you don't have that name, um, things can be uncertain. They get to be, um, they can cause anxiety and confusion um, until you can identify that thing. And that moment for me um, is very clear. It happened um, on a, just outside of Honolulu um, in a Starbucks parking lot. I had just finished my shift and uh, I was living there doing my last semester of college at the uh, University of Hawaii. And, uh, and as I stood in that parking lot, I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, I'm gay. I'm gay. I'm gay. And that just in my head, that's all that it was like, you know, a, a banner um, on the news, you know, at the bottom. And it just said, I'm gay. And I knew from it was both incredibly relieving and it was also incredibly frightening um, because of the time I was married to um, to a man. Um, I was just 23 and I'd been married for, um, I think, just over a couple of years. And I knew that things would not couldn't be the same. They couldn't remain the way that they were. Um, for me, um, I know that there are. I'm just one person, so my and, and uh, our lives are not a not a uniform thing. So, what has happened to me and what I've decided is is right for me um, is going to be is not going to fit for for everybody. So, um, and everybody has and gets to have our access to personal revelation, and I love that and our agency. And so. Um, I, I knew I couldn't uh, remain married, and so I had to make the really, um, really difficult decision to, um, to to divorce. And so I did that um, to <laughs> for being in, uh, a, a pretty pretty uh, pretty uh, typical twenty something year old. Um, I hadn't changed my name. We didn't have any kids. There was nothing that was that was complicating um, complicating the um, that part. Um, the um he had converted um so we had been married by the bishop and then a year later we went to the temple and so um so that was a decision that i made at the time that i recognized was some attempt to feel like i belong somewhere all my life been told in you know from primary i love to see the temple i'm going there someday and um and then again women you know the 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 expectation that you'll get married you'll have kids those are all very 
very real and re- reinforced things. And um, in the 80s and 90s, uh, when it was, you know, mentioned anything involving um, same-sex attraction or being gay or anything, it was mentioned in passing as short as possible. It was There was no mistaking that that was something capital B. It was bad. And, um, and that was just something that, that was internalized. I, um, I just knew it was something that I, that was bad. I didn't know why. And I didn't really think about it, um, until, (laughs) until that, that, that moment in the parking lot in Hawaii. And, but it fit. I finally had a name for this, uh, culmination of anxiety and not knowing and just wondering why I never felt like I fit in. I never fit in with, uh, I went through friend groups and in school, um, I can make friends, um, pretty easily. Anybody. And, uh, but as far as fitting in, I, I just don't feel like that. And, um, and I didn't have anybody to talk to. There was nobody visible. What I would have given to have the, the access to, 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 to something like this, where there's podcasts and all of those things that just weren't, weren't available. And so, there's a there's a certain amount of obligation and duty um, that I have to to be visible and to having gone through forge this path I uh, I get to now um, as they tell me in AA you can only keep what you have by giving it away and so that's um, that's what I've I've done I've um, so after I I uh, I finished uh, once I had that, um, revelation with, um, with, in terms of my, my sexual orientation, I, uh, I started drinking again. Um, I had stopped, um, stopped when, uh, when marriage got to be a serious issue. And so I wanted to stay worthy and, uh, and I did. And then, um, I, I couldn't handle it anymore. And I, um, there was a, um, I just, I just binged. Um, I had a, my first probably um, nervous breakdown and uh, and just drink because I didn't know what else to do. I was so uncomfortable in my own skin that I would do anything to get out of it. Um, and that continued to go. Um, I didn't, I continued to drink. Um, I, after my divorce, um, I, um, I had a couple of relationships and um, one of them um, was, was with a, a woman who introduced me to um, introduced me to uh, to cocaine and harder drugs and um, and we had a great what I thought was a great uh, time it was fun um, and but it was it's not sustainable it's, it never is and um, and so while it was fun and we had this gorgeous apartment you know across the street from the beach and and a lot of money and it was it was it was really fun for for a few months until it wasn't until in trying to stop, I couldn't. And realizing that um, where I was, and I went from uh, having everything, seemingly a new car and, you know, this apartment and a, and a dry cleaning pill and all that stuff to having to move um, without a job, without a car, um, to uh, the outskirts of, of a very rural um, town in California um, that, uh, and I continue to use, um, if not get worse. And, um, I lost myself. Um, addiction is, is a choice up until a certain extent, uh, point. And then but it's still my choice to have given over my agency to this the substance. I'm not sure exactly where that point was, but I did do it. And my life revolved absolutely around 
it, to use the terminology meetings, the getting and using and finding ways and means to use more. That was all my life consisted of. I had no room for anything else, um, not even self-care or anything like that. And uh, as the years went by, um, my family was at a loss of what to do, especially my parents. Um, I, I'm the oldest and, uh, and there was nothing like this. Um, I'm pretty sure my parents have never even, you know, um, everybody else has gone to, to BYU. I'm the only non-BYU graduate in my family. Um, and, uh, and they didn't, they just didn't know what to do. And I, you know, I, and, and again, the visibility just wasn't there. There was no addiction recovery program at the time. Um, addiction has such a negative stigma, um, attached to it as if there's some sort of moral failing or that addicts are bad people. And I think the important, one of the many important things to do, people who are in addiction, I promise they're the ones suffering the most. No one, if you could see what your end life was going to be like, you would never have started. There's not one person on this earth who would, um, who would ever do that again. And, um, and today, I get to choose every single day not to do that again. I get to choose to stay and to remain, um, remain free. Um, that, uh, that does not come easily or, or, or overnight or anything like that. Um, that is, um, has been a, a really, has been the hardest thing I will ever have to do in my life. Um, when I, um, I on a, took my family on a, um, vacation and I, uh, I, uh, I overdosed and, um, it was then when everybody realized how severe my addiction was. And a couple weeks after that, I found myself on a plane to, uh, to Michigan. I spent, uh, almost three months in Michigan at the inpatient rehab. Um, I returned to California and, uh, after a stint in Austin and, um, I relapsed about a month later. And I know that, uh, that was incredibly hard for everybody. Um, usually, unless, rarely is it the case when you go to rehab the first time and, and, it, and everything sticks. It, it usually takes, um, I was there with a girl who was on her 17th rehab stay, one seven, and she, um, it was, takes that much and it's, it's not until you're ready. Um, and so with that, um, I was, after rehab, still had an addiction. I was uh, in charge with two two felonies um, that were as a result of a direct result of um, of getting access to drugs, and so I found myself um, myself in jail. Um, I had run I'd run to, from myself for for years, um, and uh, and sitting in uh, sitting in that those places in California are. Um, between uh, between jail and between withdrawing on uh, in in rehab, those are two of the darkest um, and deepest places that I have ever been. Um, and so I wondered how I got there. Um, I, for all intents and purposes, you know, I had been <laughs> my young woman class president all the time, and I had um, I'd gone to church, and I thought I had done the right things, and. And that was kind of the start where I now, in retrospect, starting to collect the experiences that would become part of my story, and to now be in the in the headspace where I've had the clarity to understand what I was being taught at the time, which I was 
I did not see, I was not happy about. And uh, I wondered, I really pitied myself and wondered why I was the one who had to do all this. Um, there's that, you know, the, the common uh, trope that, you know, God will never give you more than you can handle. And I was really doubted that. Um, really, really wondered where, where this came from. So um, it was a, it was a, it was a strange um, bottom um, as, as the, the, the term usually goes. And so um, after I'd been to jail, I'd been to rehab, I'd lost jobs. I had nothing to my name. I, there was one, at one point I remember walking down the street um, with two bags of bottles at seven o'clock in the morning um, in sober living um, with in an effort to get however many dollars I could so I could afford the cheapest bottle of vodka at the, at the corner store. I don't know who that person is anymore. That's not, that's a Lindsay that doesn't exist. Um, there are still consequences that I have to deal with from her, from her actions. And so that's something that I will um, accept responsibility for fully. Um, but that, that person doesn't exist anymore. She looked like Lindsay and she, uh, she answered name and matched the ID, but, um, doesn't have much in common with with the one that is talking to you with you now and for that i am that is a reason that i know that my savior lives and i know the power of the atonement because people like me and people like all of us um are fundamentally flawed and we are imperfect and we were and I learned from um, Adam Miller is one of my favorite. Um, if ever there was a voice that that spoke to my heart, it's it's Adam Miller. His it, not only is he a philosophy um, uh, professor, and that's what I had my, I have my degree in uh, his philosophy, and with his um, his insights have just resonated more than anybody. And um, and he said that you know it is not our job to be deserving of love. It's not something that we earn. It's not a reward. Um, if that were the case, then none of us would be um, would be able to be loved. Um, our but love is a law, and Christ already loves all of us perfectly, and so our obligation and our duty is to accept that grace, accept that that love, and then to extend it to others. Simple, but not easy. Um, and and so when I found myself. Um, in now having come out to my parents, um, it, it'll be about, um, let's see, uh, it's been al almost 20 years. Um, there've been a lot of difficult discussions, ugh, a lot of, a lot of tears and a lot of meeting each other where we are. Um, again, I, uh, I I joke with my parents that I'm <laughs> I wonder how it was you know in the pre-existence where um, you know we were we we're having a little meeting and you know um, and uh, my parents were getting the rundown of who their first kid would be and you know okay so she's gonna be you know you're gonna have uh, Lindsay's gonna be um, gay and uh, probably gonna have a, a, an addiction and um, also she's gonna want to major in philosophy so just wear that and. Um, and maybe do things that are that she knows aren't aren't right, but she's going to do them anyway. And uh, and these are all things that are, you know, incredibly difficult no matter where you've come from, 
Um, and to I'm sure my parents were not thrilled at that. Um, or maybe they were. Um, but at some point, we all accepted to be this family. And for that, I am eternally grateful because my parents, um, along with my wife, are the undoubtedly the, the reason that I'm here today. Um, they love me. They support me. They um, and they love my wife. Um, they they absolutely love her. She's an amazing person. Um, that is probably the most, like I said in my email, the most Christ-like person that I have uh, ever met. We are. Um, she makes me really good at calling me out <laughs> in the most loving way and so patiently. And I have learned so much from her. And um, and it, hopefully in the in in uh, in sometime um she's learned a few things from me she's become a really good fan a really big fan of funeral potatoes and uh <laughs> and all things uh <laughs> that are um in the culture so she's been to church she's um she knows arguably more than a lot of uh, a lot of other people um even with that are that may be in the church and um and i'm grateful for her patience and her her, her understanding through all of this um so it was <laughs> there's a lot of uh moving parts here and i um my brain doesn't usually think very linear so uh, you're, you're doing a great job Lindsay. Yeah. <laughs> just a great job appreciate that i um i think when um my bottom it was a uh, it was february 13th of 2013 so coming up on 11 years here in a couple of days knock on wood and um and after even after all of this i had been out drinking with a with a friend and so while I was in sober living and I'd been getting away with it for about three or four months. And, um, and so we pulled up to the, the corner store and I was just going to do the usual just to get out and, uh, and then just go over to my, my, my bed and lie down for the rest of the day, you know, and, uh, and, and, and pull it off again. And, uh, it was then that this, <laughs> the sober living director, she bought a new car, uh, and a lot of the girls smoked, um, and, the corner store was like, we're talking three minutes, um, you know, walking max. It, I mean, it took longer to walk than it did to drive. And, uh, and she never drove, but that day she did. She had taken girls, I mean, like probably in the car for a few hundred feet. And she pulled up right next to, next to me as I sat in the passenger seat. And she looked over at me and she just said, get in the car. I had no, I I knew that she, I had been caught red-handed and that was a, that was it. Took my phone, my wallet, any kind of access I had to the outside world. And I was put on absolute blackout for the next, uh, next five days. Those days were miserable. Um, and, and that was, that was, so February 12th of, of 2013 was the last time that I've put anything in my body that has altered my mind a lot of it. Um, would jeopardize my integrity, my connection with the spirit um, that made me dependent on anything other than than my savior. Wow! And um, and again, any of the other things, you know, going to jail or or losing, you know, any a multitude of things, what you would think would be well, clearly this would be a sign that you should stop. And I wish it was that easy. Um, it's not in. Um, everybody has a different point uh, for them. And that happened to be mine. And I'm grateful every day that however that worked out, the savior um, 
the savior was able to talk to to my silver living director and tell her that maybe this is the time that you should go uh, take the girls down to the the store because she saved my life. <laughs> I don't know if I would I wouldn't have stopped. And that's the hallmark of addiction is that once you start, you can't stop. Um, one is too many, and a thousand is never enough. And I remember um, when I, I remember a phone call sitting in um, in rehab in in Michigan um, to to the girl that I was with, and and she said something as as many probably one of the only things that she said that was that was good, but she said, Lindsay, there are not enough drugs in the world for you. And I, I thought about that and it had never occurred to me that that was, that would have been the case. I thought every time that, you know, there just could be, if there was this, or if this would happen, or if I lived here, it was almost something else. It was never me. I wasn't, if I was not the problem, you know? Um, and so I wanted to avoid responsibility at all costs. Um, and so everything else, every, everybody else was, was the reason that I, my life was this way. Um, and when I finally, um, told my mom, that was a hard call to make in sober living and that I had relapsed again and that, um, that, um, that I was in trouble and, um, that was incredibly difficult to say the least. I had to break my parents' heart again. And it was uh, it, another three, three months, and um, there was a difference. I, I don't know how to, how to articulate it, um, but there was a difference. It felt different this time. And so I, um, I went home. And the other times that I'd lived at home, um, it was very explicit. My parents were really good at telling me no. I know now in, in conversations with them that it, was, it seemed really easy for them to tell me no. Um, no, we're not going to bail you out of jail. No, you cannot drink in the house because you will, you can't do that. Um, it seemed very easy when in fact there were um, careful conversations behind closed doors and fighting with um, their hearts over what if we let her out on the street, what's going to happen to her? So it wasn't like they stopped caring or, or anything that I wanted to believe that they were, they were the bad guys. They, they worried about me. They constantly prayed for me and they never gave up on me. And telling me no was a huge act of love, not one that I appreciated at all at the time. And it would only be in retrospect that I would realize that by um, being responsible and being held accountable for my actions, that allowed me to be on this path where I was able to be humbled, to learn humility, and to be able to do. Um, to be able to do really hard things um, that aren't necessarily external things, but internal things. I'm able to, to make amends and to, um, to look someone in the eye and um, accept responsibility for, for something that I've done and then to try to do better. And I think there's a, um, I don't think I would have, I, I wouldn't have known how to do how to do this without this incredibly um, difficult series of experiences and and, and challenges. I'm, it's a really big euphemism, um, and I man, I know that um, that I I could never have handled these on my own. Um, God gave me a ton more than I could handle, infinitely more than I could handle. 
And it's, um, it was when I had that moment where like Peter, when he starts to drown in the water, um, and he reaches out his hand and immediately is the, is the word in the verse that caught my eyes. Immediately Christ reaches down and grabs him. It wasn't a, uh, there was no pausing, you know, um, maybe to, 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 to teach him a lesson or, you know, to make Peter, you know, um, get a little bit more, more, uh, more, more scared, but Christ immediately reaches down his hand and I, um, and that's what he did. He pulled me up. It had taken me years and his hand has always been there. It, it's, it's always been there. I just needed to, uh. I just needed to reach out mine. And those are the, it's one of the things that I've learned in the scriptures. I remember the story of Moses when all the, the, the serpents, you know, rain down, which is terrifying, you know, from heaven and they're biting the Israelites. And all that they have to do is look at the, at, at his staff. That's it. And you think about how simple that action is. You just, you just have to turn and look guys. Like it's right there. And so many of them don't do that. And you're like, well, what idiots. That's um I, I identify more of those people now than that I I I absolutely get that. It's such a simple, simple commandment, but we make it so much more difficult than it needs to be. And that it and and that it and more infinitely more difficult than it actually is. Um and and so I I've had I've I've read the Book of Mormon uh since and uh and I just have a newfound um appreciation and uh and sympathy and identification with Laman and Lemuel and all of the um the Alma the Younger and his buddies like those are you know you're my people I, I understand them so much more um and I also appreciate in a very very real way that that change like Alma the Younger had where you know they didn't know if he was he was going to be alive and uh and he instruct and uh and that was me that was um i think the 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 most the lowest darkest closest to hell that i've ever been was to um to be on that uh that that lower bunk bed um in rehab i was withdrawing from from all the drugs and um every time i woke up i was i wish i hadn't i just i it was i would never wish that on absolutely anybody and for five days i you know on that bed and would only wake up just to maybe use the bathroom and uh and get my vitals and that was it i just couldn't do anything and and because of that because of how low and how dark that has been that has also created this light and height in the opposite direction that, that goes so far up and is so much brighter and full of so much hope. And I, I think that's, that's one of the, the greatest blessings of, of recovery and of reaching out for the savior, because those contrasts of, of, of light and dark are so distinct for me that, um, I, um, the, the, the depth and the, and the, and the lack of, of light or hope 
was so um, was so real and so intense that I also inadvertently um, created as much if, and he he made up so much more in the opposite direction and so to the to the extent that I know what it's like to um to not want the life that you live so much that not being there is a better option um or filled with guilt and shame at the things that you've done that are not things that you yourself would have done um I know that those have been for my benefit. And for some reason, um, some reason I have been able to come out of situations that I absolutely should not have. Um, there are times that there's that um I have absolutely no idea how I how I emerged unharmed or without a, just so many more severe consequences. I have, I, there's no explanation. There's just, there's just nothing. You can't even chalk it up to luck because it's just beyond. If, if that was the case that I would play the lottery all the time, I'd be, it'd be, <laughs> I'd be, I'd be rich. It'd be great. Um, but it's, it's something far beyond myself. And the whole time, you know, um, even though I wouldn't look at, at this, I wouldn't look up at the staff, so to speak. I just wouldn't. And so I made things so much more difficult on myself. And and so I really started when I got home um, after after those three months of, of sobriety. Um, I came home on Mother's Day weekend in, in May. And um, a huge turning point for my parents and I. Uh, living with them at the age of, you know, um, 33 after being gone for 14 years. And, uh, it was pretty humbling. Uh, and, uh, and then there was a college degree. I'm this, you know, and I have a, a, a life that's so juxtaposed to, to a lot of different things. I've you know, college degree, but I haven't worked in, you know, eight years or I haven't, I've had these jobs that have just been, there's no, there's no, there's no, uh, pattern. There's no stability. And that's a direct result of the choices that I made. Um, and then I allowed, um, others, um, to make for me. And, uh, and so I had to go, the, the first job I had was part-time at Goodwill. That was the only place that I could get a job, um, being a felon. Um, and gosh, was that humbling. Um, I, um, work is work and, uh, that's, it's been humbling. I imagined when I, uh, when I got home that it would take me about six months to just return to normal and everything would be fine. And, uh, and <laughs> there's that saying, you know, that, uh, we make plans and God laughs and I'm pretty sure that's exactly what happened. Um, he was so flimsy, you know, gosh, if you only knew, um, it's, you know, here it is 11 years and I, um, I'm still, still struggling to, to, with small things that are forgiven, that have to do with forgiveness of myself, um, that I've uh, missed out on large, important chunks of my life, um, that have, that people normally spend trying to build a career or a home or things like that. And, um, I didn't spend them that way. Um, I spent them sleeping on strangers' couches, 
I spent them awake, but not knowing what I was doing. Um, I spent them um, taking things from people that um, didn't belong to me. And, uh, and so there's, that's really, uh, still a really difficult thing, um, to have to, to, to deal with. Um, and the questions that I get asked are not easy ones to answer. Um, but I, um, but I have this, I have this unmistakable sense of knowing that, um, Heavenly Father knows me and loves me perfectly, and that I'm here, having been on so many, not only just two sides of the track, but all these different stops and 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 things along the way in first class, in the you know just maybe hanging on to the to the caboose um, or the coal car, um, so that I probably thing to say but that I can show that love that he has for me to others um I am able to to connect with pretty much anybody um whether it's a room full of Relief Society sisters um whether it's a a group of 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 homeless um women um who are struggling in whatever capacity they have um whether it's a a, a a couple of uh, psychologists from uh, from UNC here, and we're talking about a, a very um, niche uh, uh, aspect of uh, psychology that they're studying. Um, media, it, you name it, I can guarantee you that I can um, I can talk with them and to be able to find common ground. There's so much more that we have in common than than what we don't, and um, and living here in North Carolina after coming from California is a it's a bit different. Um, and, uh, there are people that I cross paths with that I would have never been able to, um, otherwise. And every single day, Heavenly Father shows me again and again that he hasn't gone anywhere. That if, it, if I ever feel a distance, that's on me. And, um, but it's relentless. The, the affirmation and the, the reassurance that he gives me. and when even though i've been out and very visible in the church for um for the last 15 years um not only has connie but my um a girlfriend that i had before has been was been to activities and um was welcomed and um and because of the steps the 12 steps of of aa which is um another inspired another inspired um piece of literature if you overlay it with with anything that, you know, like the Book of Mormon or the New Testament, anything like that, that we have, um, it all fits. Um, and that's because it's true. And every, all truth comes from the same source. So you'll find it in almost anywhere you look. Um, I can't remember who it was, but I, I, I listened to, a, to someone say that God is talking to all of his children all of the time. If you're a dad, um, that he, he, he's the example of his, he's always trying to get in contact with them, whether it's, some are better via text, some are, you know, to call some are emails every once in a while, but since Heavenly Father knows us perfectly and loves us perfectly, he wants to talk to us all the time. So in whatever way that, that can happen, he'll take it. And so there are some, um, some meetings 
where I've had the most spiritual um, experiences and connections with people. Because church and, and those sacred and those holy places can happen and be anywhere. Um, it doesn't have to be a certain location with coordinates. It's it's wherever he is. And when you bring a willing heart and an open mind, um, and in my case, I just ask, what do you what do you need? How can I help? That opens up a lot of um, a lot of avenues that you you wouldn't have the opportunity to experience if you not just ask the question. Um, and so in using the, the 12 steps, which I will die on the hill, everybody in the world should use. Absolutely. It's just, it's, it's the atonement in 12 steps. It is, it's not for, it's not just for people with addictions and it can be, be anything that is exactly how to use the atonement from A to Z. Um, and so my life has become increasingly just more peaceful, more serene. And the times that I sit in uncertainty and discomfort, they still come and they still, there are still highs and lows all the time, but I know that I've done it before and I can do it again. And I'm more, um, more willing and quicker to remember to reach for his hand. I still don't do it immediately. Most of the time, actually, and, um, probably a lot longer than he would, than he would like, but I learned to reach sooner and without fail, he's right there. So when we moved to North Carolina, um, I was out and, and would, had gone to church and I didn't exactly know how that, that would look. Um, and, uh, sure enough, I was, uh, called out of a meeting with the state president and, um, what was different this time, um, I had a converse, uh, three conversations with the state president um, back in California that did, uh, that's the only uh, negative experience that I've had in the church. Um, and knowing what I do now about that situation, it's thankfully easier to compartmentalize. And I remember from that conversation, I remember him um telling me at the end that I wasn't really gay, that Connie and I were just friends that were kind of confused. And, uh, and I looked at him and I said, um, I said, I hope that you never say that to anybody else that comes in here to talk to you. I said, if my testimony was of the church or let, or was with people, I would walk out right now. But because I know that it's the savior and um, they're imperfect people, I know I'm okay. And so I stayed in, in, because that's not how this works. I, of, of course that's wrong. And from every, um, everybody said it's the church and it's just, and I, I love knowing that I am not responsible for judging. Um, that's a really big, uh, burden that I really don't want to carry. I've already got my, my, my pack of rocks and, uh, and, uh, and probably need to get rid of those first. And so, um, I was able to to move on from that. Um, it hurt. Absolutely. Um, it really hurt. But, um, so when I, uh, spoke with the state president, um, it was, it was different. Uh, Connie was asked if she would like to, um, to participate in the conversations and she did. She's, 
it's amazing. I, I don't know who else would want to spend their free times listening to, you know, she, she had a few of the lessons with the missionaries and, um, he knows about can draw you the diagram of the plan of salvation and, and of happiness. And she can, uh, she can do all kinds of stuff and, um, she's just, just wonderful. And, um, and then, uh, and then after three conversations, they decided to have a membership council and, um, and, uh, and it was decided it was, it was one of the most unexpectedly spiritual and loving meetings that I've ever been in. Um, I think that it was, it was a huge shock to me. Um, and I think a lot of that came from knowing that the savior was still in control over all this. Um, no matter what happened, he wasn't going to leave. And so when it was determined that, um, that they were, um, going to remove my name from the, from the church, um, it's still, it's not, it's not something easy. You're, there are very few things that I've tied my identity to that my entire life. And that is just one of them. And to have that institution say, sure, everything else is great, except for this thing. And this thing is one thing that I know what, I know what hell is. I know what sin is because that darkness, that absolute misery, um, a misery that I have not experienced since because misery to me is self-imposed. That's continuing to do something that is wrong despite knowing the, the opposite. Um, I can be disappointed. I can be sad. I can be frustrated or angry, but I don't have to be miserable anymore. Um, and so I've never been miserable. And so when I have this person who absolutely makes me more like more kind, more patient, more open, lets me see things in a different way that I, um, I didn't think of before. Um, I, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a, there's a knee jerk reaction to want to, well, did you question all of the other heterosexual couples? You know, did, um, I had a Bishop tell me one time that he, you know, he was aware that there were couples that fought on the way over to church and that people were taking the sacrament who probably shouldn't be. And, uh, and of course that's a, I, of course that's a valid and a really, um, very, uh, it, it comes from a place of hurt and a, and a, a fair unfairness. Um, but again, um, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And so, um, that was, if that was their decision, that's, that was their decision. My decision came by choosing not to be angry by choosing not to be, um, be malicious or, um, to be antagonistic or abrasive any kind of way. And in fact, um, I just, uh, it was a couple of weeks ago that, um, there are a few, um, few members who just love me and I, I'm so great, great, grateful to them. And, um, one of the sisters who I just absolutely love, she, uh, she told me that they were, it was their turn to volunteer for the year for at the, at the, um, the women's shelter and would I like to go be one of the four women that, that served again. And I've done that. Every, and, uh, she made room for me. And, um, and so I stood with the, with the other, with those three women and we served and I, uh, I got to talk with, with the women there in a way that, um, that 
maybe they can't. Um, I understand things that um, and struggles that that are just not um, easily accessible on a on a on a on a regular basis. And I love that. I love um, I love not being responsible for anger or for resentment because my relationship with my father and with my savior is is of um is of a an appreciation understanding that i would have not had were not for these experiences that he gave me and for the um for the love and for the things that he has given me that are beyond what I think I will ever deserve. But he continues to love and to bless me. He hasn't gone anywhere. And whether my name is on a piece of paper or not makes no difference to whether I am worth his sacrifice. My worth I know that he would do it for me again. I know that he knows exactly how I feel and why. Why this frustration feels the way that I feel it. Why this withdrawal feels the way that I feel it. And how this happiness is a is a is a is an outpouring of choices that I make now that are with him and following him in mind. I think of people now as um, just other versions of me living a different life. If we're all brothers and sisters, then that means that all of us could be in any but anybody else's situation. I know some of the best people in the world that have no desire or have never stepped foot inside a church. And I know some of the uh, people that I definitely don't want to um, encounter again or engage with that sit in a pew every Sunday. And I have hope today. Regardless of whatever else is going on in my life, um, the miracle that I am here is, is never ceases to be just incredible. There's a talk by um, one of my favorite talks by. Um, called The Transformative Power of Faith and Art by Jenna Lee Immer. Um, she gave it in 2021. She's the art director at BYU. And my mom sent it to me. And I would have never listened to it. I don't know how I would have come across it, but I have listened to it probably at least 10, 12 or 15 times. It is a wonderful talk um, by Jenna Lee Immer. And um, she's just talking um, about um, 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 the book Night by um, um, Ellie Weiss. Uh, the Nobel Prize winner. He was in Auschwitz, you know, and he writes about his um, his time there. And it's it's not an easy book, and it shouldn't be. Um, it's very short, and it's. Um, but in talking about that, um, there's just a there's a portion that I that I love, and um, she, uh, she said when he this is um, from the book. It said when he watched a young boy die slowly by hanging and reopened the question posed by someone in the crowd, "Where is God?" He wrote, from within me, I heard a voice answer, where is he? This is where, hanging here from this gallows. My faith is tested, wounded, but it's here. And I realized that my faith has been tested and wounded, but it is here. 
It has been in battle. It has been, um, it's been cut down. It has been given up. It has been fought over and fought for, and it's here. And I realized that all of those times where maybe I didn't, I thought, where is God? He was right there. Just like he was um, in those gallows, hanging from those gallows. When I think about lying on that bottom bunk, withdrawing, there's a um, an image that has come into my mind just in, in the past year. And it's kind of from a, um, a bit of a, From a perspective from the outside. And as I'm, I see myself curled up there. And I also see him right there next to me. Knows exactly what I was going through. And he was there. It didn't matter whether I acknowledged it or not, but he was there. And so... All I knew is to be in debt to him, as Benjamin said, and, and to try to do, like my favorite primary song says in the last lines, have faith, have hope, live like his son, and help others on their way. If, uh, if whatever I've gone through can, can allow someone else to feel the love of Christ, then I honestly don't know what more I could want to accomplish in this lifetime so i'm so grateful to be here beyond grateful and um, i'm grateful to be able to the miracle that is even just telling you this story for all intents and purposes again it shouldn't happen then yet it is and it's because of him Lindsay. On behalf of all the people that are just so deeply moved by our story, that want to reach out and give you a big hug. Thank you for your courage to share your story and help other people not feel alone, help other people feel hope. Um, these are some of the things, listeners, as you know, I kind of write down on my notepad. And you may have written down some of the things that are completely different things. And maybe you're on the treadmill and you can't write and you just remember things. But... You said addiction is not a moral failing. I love that. And um, then you talked about Adam Miller and talked about love is not earned. You mentioned you're a philosophy major and how that connected with you. And here you've gotten a college degree along the way. Um, but I love that idea is love is not earned. I think that helps us come a position of strength. Worthiness to come to go to the temple can come and go, but worth um, or love of God or hopefully love of ourselves is not earned. Love from the Savior is not earned. I love that. I think that's very consistent with our doctrine. I love your shout out to your parents. Um, and you said they're the reason I'm here today. And if your parents are listening, um, this is a payday moment for you, I hope. Just to hear this, you know this story obviously really well and you know it from your side. And I can't just Imagine the times you've been on your knees and praying and wondering and maybe even lost track of where Lindsay is and is it raising adult children? We don't have, we can't like control our adult kids and not knowing what to do and just, now not every parent has an experience where 
somebody in a really dark place is able to pull themselves out of it, but you do. And this is a family success story. It's a family love story, but I love Lindsay's awareness of your role in their life. And and that gives honor to all parents that are trying to do their best they can to raise kids. I love this date of February 13th, 2013, if I've got it right. <laughs> I love that you know that date and that that date was a dark day, just like February 13th is supposed to be. It was a turning point. And we're recording this podcast a couple of days before February 13th. It'll be released probably the end of February, early March. So that'll be over 11 years since this day. And I love that you recognize God's hand. Um, I love this idea that even though you may have missed years of your life, that, that you're able to still live your life and look forward. Um, there may be people listening that just there's years of your life that you have regret over or really tough years where you're in the middle of addiction and just trying to stay alive or hoping you're not alive, but maybe able to stay alive. And I just think in the totality of mortality that those quote missed years, um, if there were missed experiences that all being made right in, in the atonement of Jesus Christ and nothing about your eternal possibilities have changed because of those missed years. Your mortal experience may have changed a little bit. So I love the way you understand that so well. Um, I love, I wrote down, um, I love the way you compartmentalize that experience with a church leader. This is a podcast where it's a safe place to talk about difficult church experiences because we want for all of us to be able to understand how we can do better. And sometimes processing a church experience that was difficult helps all of us do better. But I love the way you compartmentalize that and we're able to navigate that. And we're self-confident enough in yourself that you really are gay. <laughs> you figured that out. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And it's not, and you know, this is, you know, and I realize that that comes from an, perhaps an uninformed or somebody that hasn't had as much experience. Yeah. Um. Now let's see if I can read my writing. I love you talking about the church, your relationship with your stake president, going through membership council, having your record removed, and sort of giving grace to leaders to process that, and then saying, I can't control what the church is going to do about me. I admire you coming back to church. You could have stayed off the radar map in some ways and kept your record on, the name on the record, because they wouldn't have known where you were. No. And so I recognize you love the church enough to attend and recognize that this is your spiritual home and where you feel Christ and we're upfront and transparent with your stake president and recognize, you know, his feeling about doing a membership council, which resulted in membership being withdrawn. Um, and you said, I can't control that experience, but I can kind of control how I respond. And this is kind of you, Lindsay, this this really mature, you know, person, and you don't like to hear that. You're kind of bowing your head away. And, um, but it helps all of us when we have a difficult experience that perhaps doesn't, you know, just, I can't control that, but I can control um, how I respond. And perhaps short-term anger is a normal human emotion, but after that passes, resentment to me is more within our control and, and how we're going to respond. I love the way you recognize the Savior's in control. 
So in some ways, you have a testament of the church. I'm putting words in your mouth, so help me if I misspeak. <laughs> but your seem to your core testimony is this idea: the Savior is in control, and that's, the, and the yeah, church is exactly my. <laughs> and you have this a way to compartmentalize, perhaps a choppy church experience or choppy member experience, and and say, well, that's the Savior's in control, and I know that. Um, you know, I've, you know, we've, one of this is a side note, you know, the handbook doesn't require a membership council or even be membership withdrawn, as you probably know. And, and there's, I'm aware of some same sex couples that are attending church and um, they just aren't allowed to participate, have a temple recommend or participate with things that require a temple recommend. So my personal hope is uh, church, and I don't usually try to say this is what our church should do. That's not my platform, but I do kind of hope that maybe there's just more direction given in the handbook that, you know, a disciplinary council is not required. It's generally not needed unless somebody wants to fully return to church activity and they self-determine that the best path for them is to do that. And that may require, that would require their marriage ending. And so most same-sex couples don't want to have their marriage end. <laughs> and no. we're not, I hope as a church, we're not on the business of trying to end your marriage with Connie. So that's kind of my hope as a YSA bishop. Most, I was never required to do a membership council in any of the situations. Sometimes I counsel with somebody and say, would a membership council help you? Get, give me your input as your priesthood leader on what would help you. Um, as I'm praying and getting as much information as possible. So I'm not trying to second guess your local state prison or second guess anybody, but I just think um, in less required, um, and there are some situations it's required, this isn't one that it, it can be the right thing. Um, so I'm not, it could be, you may, look, you may look back right now and say, this was helpful for me. And you may look back in five years and say, I see the reason for this, but generally I think it's difficult for couples in same-sex marriages. And then it may send a message that if I start to come back to church, that this may this may be what happens as my records are taken off. And I really don't want that. So I'm just going to not go back to church, even though I have a testimony of the church. And so there's kind of a underground of same-sex couples trying to participate in the church that are kind of aware of all this stuff. At least that's what I've been told. Are you okay with that? I don't want to write yeah. my story different than yours <laughs> or say no, something I, that's not consistent. I think that, um, I think you're right. Um, I know that the handbook has been changed more than once um, with regards to this. And um, I think president did, did, did tell me that he knew that it wasn't a requirement and the three uh, conversations that, um, between, um, Connie and I and him, um, I felt his, um, I felt his, the sincerity at wanting to understand, um, who I was, um, and, and, and not just throw a blanket over and, uh, and either go one way or the other, but there, I know that there was a lot of thought and a lot of prayer that went into that. And I have this very, um, again, this is a very distinct um, 
like in a very quick, immediate um, reassurance that this decision is for my benefit. How that works, I don't know. Um, <laughs> again, um, if I try to figure it out, I'm just going to drive myself crazy. So I just, it, it, every time I think about, um, I think about well, why did this happen to me? First of all, I'm starting to get into that, you know, that that kind of why me, that that self-pity that that is not empowering, that is not, um, uh, it's not beneficial to anybody. But instead, um, just this very calm, very firm reassurance that, Lindsay, I gotcha. <laughs> You're still here. Everything's going to be okay. Um, and how that works out and how that looks is probably going to be different than, than I could ever, um, it already has been. Um, but I, I just know that. And that makes going through each day um, a lot lighter. Um, and I'm glad that, grateful for the willingness that I've kind of um, been forced to have. Um, my dad was a bishop and, um, uh, and I remember asking him, um, as he was ending the, he was getting to the, you know, the, the his tenure, uh, end, and, uh, I'm asking what, what one lesson was that he learned, um, about, you know, being a bishop. And he, his immediate answer was everybody has their demons, everybody. And so whether it's, um, Regardless of what it is, whether it's pride, whether it's um, um, whether it's something that you can Google like me, um, you know, you can find my you can find my demons, no problem. Um, but whatever it is, it's something that needs to needs our father's help. And um, and we can't do it alone. We just can't. And so um, how we. And knowing that um, and being able to be visible about mine is is just a, a huge, um, and knowing that the other thing is that my demons will literally kill me. This is a life and death situation. And so, um, it's, it's very urgent. And so, uh, so luckily I have that, that pressure on me because otherwise I'd be a little bit, uh, a little bit slow. So I'm, I'm grateful that this is the, That's great. this is what he's given me. Yeah. And I love, um, that he, um, and your leaders there in um, North Carolina, I've got the right state, yeah, Raleigh, North Carolina, yeah. invited Connie to come with you and they wanted to get to know both of you. And um, they wanted to get to know you outside of just being a same-sex marriage and credit to your local leaders for doing that. And it seems like you've really thoughtful people that are care about you and trying to do the best. So I don't want to second guess a local leader. I'm just aware that couples and same-sex marriages that are wanting to come to church are getting a different experience, and that can cause some feelings um, in that community, in all of in our community. I love, I really love the way you can speak f with authority here about the pain of sin and the darkness and the consequence of that. And you're really open about that. But then you talk about the beauty of your same-sex marriage with Connie, and there's none of that around it. There's no darkness. There's no, there's just the same things I think you're talking about that a straight couple experiences as support, hope, nurturing. Um, I'm sure that she's a big part of your journey to continue to heal and move forward and have a life partner. So I just recognize listeners to same-sex marriages outside the teachings of our church, but I also 
um, honor people that are in healthy relationships, um, straight relationships or same-sex relationships that are built on trust, monogamy, supporting each other, um, helping each other be a better person. And so I recognize, you know, that you and Connie are in that and you can speak with authority on that because you've seen the consequences of choices that lead to dark outcomes and and this isn't one. So I just sit with that and as a Latter-day Saint and recognize that um, I sit with both things that, you know, it's outside the teachings of our church, but it's very healthy and I'm open that perhaps we'll get more light and understanding and better support couples in same-sex marriages. Um, that's not, I'm not an activist. I'm just aware that things could change. I wouldn't invite someone to make a decision thinking things might change. And um, so I just think that's a beautiful part of your story. Um, we're kind of coming to the end, but I, I wanted to go back to addiction. I've, um, I don't know if you've thought about this question. My guess is you have, once you realized you were gay, there's so much potentially sort of so much shame around that, that people turn to things to numb the shame and that can lead to addiction. Have you connected the dots on that? Do you feel like if you were straight, <laughs> you would still would have had some challenges with addiction? Or do you think this is tied? One therapist calls me the bottom of the iceberg. Addiction is not what's at bottom of the iceberg. It's dealing with something down there and often addiction or the steps to addiction, like drinking or drugs, are a way to escape the pain or the reality. And there's nothing wrong with being gay, but society um, certainly would feel different and and maybe in your day and maybe still does to some extent. So that's, I have a hunch you have an answer to that question. I've just thought about this just a, a little bit. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that um, there are components. My um, my addiction would have manifested in some way, shape, or form. Um, very all or nothing, but um, but not to the extent that it did. And when I came out, um, I I had no idea how to deal with that. And so it was it was a very quick, easy way to feel better. Um, it was a short term fix it felt like um but probably akin to um maybe putting <laughs> you're putting super glue on a um you know your motor that is a blown ahead gasket it's it's it it's 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 a uh, but i knew that no matter that that i could not feel the way that i did i didn't have to be me i didn't have to have this cognitive dissonance i say those with capital letters that caused um, and exacerbated all of the symptoms of depression and anxiety and my ADHD that were already there lurking near the surface and everything just kind of came up because I still had those feelings. And, um, and so addiction, um, it, it was, it, addiction is always a symptom of, of something else of a disconnect in some way. And when we disconnect from our source of, um, whether it's other people or, or especially the savior, um, we're going to feel that that emptiness and drugs and alcohol are really quick and very relatively accessible to be able to feel like you don't have to be yourself. And it's very alluring and it will lead you only to, um, to, to nowhere. Um, and so 
there is that very strong connection. I've connected the dots um, probably with a Sharpie over and over. Um, and, uh, and it's very well, very well documented. And, uh, and I, I, I would hope that um, having more visibility and more access to information and to people who look and have similar experiences as, 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 as you and knowing that you're not alone um, would help someone make either a different decision or to be able to have more information or to feel loved where and not trapped into doing something that perhaps um, you don't feel any, that, that there's any other way, but there always is. That's a great answer. Um, just so moved with your story, Lindsay, a wonderful woman with, um, has gone through a lot. Um, we read this quote a lot, listeners. <laughs> um, Henry Norwin, this is who, this is you. And many of our guests, a minister's service will not be perceived as authentic unless it comes from a heart wounded by the suffering about which he or she speaks. The great illusion of leadership is to think others can be led of a desert by someone who's never been there. So, you know, this isn't an invitation to have an addiction, listeners, and to be not, Lindsay is not inviting any of us to do that. But we all go through really hard things. That's part of mortality. And I think the real test of our character is what we do um, on February 13th, 2013. And it's kind of multiple times you've gone through the addiction, but something clicked there, um, including maybe moving home. And now you've become the wounded healer because you know this road it's not theoretical it's not it's it's you and this podcast helps people that are in a really dark spot thinking that um suicide or not living or wanting not to wake up is the best path forward and look at your life you have a wonderful wife a wonderful companionship you're bright you're thoughtful you're good you understand the Savior and the atonement. It's not theoretical for you. It's once again, it's because you've had to. And you're the wounded healer. And your voice in our church isn't is needed. It's not fully available. Um, but I love that you went out on this ward service project. And I think to the women's shelter and this wonderful sister in your ward invited you. Credit to you if you're listening for helping Lindsay to continue to feel needed at the local level and recognize she has gifts to bless others um so you know you and you're 43 you're not my age 63 sharing this story you're on the backside of the most difficult years of your life and the rest of your life is possible um, thank you tanner hanks if you're listening um i know of one conversation i had with you and just recognize good man you are and your love for all of a heavenly parents children um, I will never forget this line from your original email to me. My testimony is still intact more now. I've tried to find my place in the church where I fit, but so far I haven't. Haven't found one even, and not for lack of trying. I feel welcome, but I do not belong, except with my wife and my Savior. I never feel like I'm really where I need to be. And I just think that's kind of an invitation for all of us in what we can do in our circle of influence to make sure everybody feels like they belong. There's no belief or behavior hurdle to be welcome in a congregation. You don't need a temple recommend. Um, you don't even need membership. 
Um, but what can we do to help people feel like they belong and they're needed and valued? And we're called to be gatherers. We're not called to be sifters. There's a narrowing of the gate to go to the temple, but there's not at the congregation level. And um, I recognize that the, the, you've mentioned wonderful things your ward and stake have done to help you feel welcome. Um, we just have more work to do. So what we can do in our circle of influence to help LGBTQ Latter-day Saints feel like they belong. Our church talks about belonging a lot. So that's all I have to say. Do you have any final comments, Lindsay, before we sign off? Um, I, again, I am so grateful for this, this opportunity. I, I will encourage um, anyone to do the 12 steps. It doesn't matter. Um, please just, um, the church's addiction recovery program is, almost verbatim, um, the, the original 12 steps, just, um, uh, with, the uh, some verbiage that's, that's from our, our, um, our, um, our gospel. And there's a reason that those are used. Um, the truth is everywhere. And if there's someone in your circle that, um, that, that you may not, uh, that may, that may be an addict or, or struggling with something, how can I help? is a really maybe one of the most powerful questions that you could ask. Um, and you open yourself up to opportunities for service and for loving people in a way that helps you become closer to the savior. And, um, I will continue to try to do that. And, um, and things like this give me hope that, um, that others are too. Thank you, Lindsay Sice. Um, honored to have you on the podcast. A great life ahead of you. And thank you, our listeners, for listening and sharing and um, keeping this podcast going by sharing um, these wonderful guests' story to help us create Zion and expand the borders of Zion. And so this is Richard Osler signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs>